Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, I'm Kyle Mack, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Combat Chronicles podcast. So here we go, actually got some fights to talk about that have happened and that are coming up and are actually worth talking about. I actually wish that I had previewed this card, um, the past UFC Fight Night card, because the main event was relatively compelling to me, and I did have a pretty decent grasp when I thought it was going to go, but um, no one's going to believe me now, so let's not go into that. But I'm not going to get to the main event just yet, which is Calvin Cato versus Giga Chikati, which was a really good one. Uh, certainly in terms of the performance, if not the competitive nature of the fight, although at its moments. But I first want to address the fact that online I'm seeing a lot of talk of robbery in the Hogerio Bontarine versus Brandon Royvale fight. Now, the scoring criteria obviously uh, says that impact is the, most, is the most important scoring criteria. In, in order to actually have impact, you've got to do something. And in that first round, I think I counted maybe two or three punches from Bontarine, all of which... If they landed, Royval uh, rolled with. They were not like fight-ending punches. They were not particularly hard. or Well, they were hard. Bonnerine hits pretty hard, but they weren't particularly loud. Uh, Royval didn't really do too much. There was a fair bit of out- output. Some innocuous-looking body kicks and what have you. But at least he was trying to do something. And when I say trying, I don't mean trying and failing. On his back at the end of the first round, he's at least trying to smash elbows into Bontarine's head. He does at least try to punch him. It might not be the hardest punches, but he's doing something. I think he outscored him in that round in terms of the fact that in order to actually create an impact, you've got to throw something. And he throw and he threw more. You do not win rounds based on positional grappling dominance. I saw uh, Ed Gallo, um, former colleague at the, at the fight site, uh, he said before that body triangles are, are relatively painful, so he could score those. I get that. If you've got a particularly painful neck crank on, I would score that. That counts as impact for me. You're actually doing some damage. You're, you're hurting your opponent. There was none of that. Bonterine won the second round, no doubt. Uh, it looks like Roy Val sort of twisted his ankle, but for me, he was he was staggered from that punch. A couple of decent left hands in that. Bontarine, I like him. I mean, you know, he's fought Pancras, he's been in UFC for ages, fought a lot of decent fighters. Loved the fight with Kai Kara France, it was really good fun. He's a good fighter, he hits relatively hard. Stout little guy, decent grappler, walks around doing very little hipster's dream, basically. 
Brandon Royval for me, I was really excited about him coming in. He, he, his first couple of fights, he, he looked like a sort of flyweight Tony Ferguson. Lots of crazy spinning shit. I think he won the third round hands down. Uh, Bonstrine landed a couple of good shots. But even in the grappling phases, Royval was more active and then obviously rained down a lot of punches towards the end. There's no way he didn't win that round. Elbows. Bonstrine just shelling up. Again, not fight ending, but they're, they're doing something. They're, they're, they're creating an impact. I see today people saying, clear win for Bonterine. Even if he fought that he won. Clear win? Fucking hell. I just don't know why anyone would think that. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that he won it. You could argue that those couple of punches in the first round were the best thing in the round. And he might have just about edged it. Or maybe you could argue that that second round with the knockdown and the fact that he landed the harder shots and Roy Val did very, very little meant it was a 10-8. I'd, I'd get, I'd, I'm fine with a 10-8. I'm absolutely fine with Roy Val getting a 10-9 in the first and third and a 10-8 in the second for Bonnerine making it a draw. I wouldn't argue with that at all. But this robbery talk, that's what I'm trying to address here. Robbery? Really? Just bizarre. There's absolutely no talk of a robbery in the main event. By the way, I'm not really not going to be talking about uh, many fights on this card. Really don't give a fuck about many of them. It's always nice to see Brian Keller and Court McGee fighting. Court McGee, that's the blast of the past. Can't believe he's still stuck around. I mean, Jake Collier just being a fat middleweight, beating heavyweights is fun, I suppose. It's crazy that simply by being smaller once, uh, you were you more aware of having a fight, uh, superior technical opposition, even at a division like 185. And therefore you are, there's far more te- depth to your, your technique than generic heavyweights. He actually moves his head, uh, which is, I guess, somewhat of an outlier at heavyweight. Finish was a bit like a Nunez Pena. Barely got a, an RNC in and, and Chase Sherman tapped. Um, yeah. Less said about that, the better. But I like, I like Jake. I like Jake Collier. Fair play to him, man. I've said before, actually, um, just get rid of 205. Because sort of fat middleweights and, and slightly... Uh, and a lot of heavyweights that aren't cutting. Not that a lot of heavyweights particularly great. Um, it would give the marquee division more depth and actually I don't think that the smaller guys would necessarily be out of their depth as is now being proven by a fat middleweight being pretty decent I like Jake Collier good, de- decent enough you know I like him not going to move the needle but we know a heavyweight you know just warm bodies that actually try to do something interesting is is better than nothing or better than what we already have let's go to the main event then which for me was Dominant. There's some interesting technical things going on. Calvin Cater's just far too advanced for Giga Chikadze. Let's first address what happened before the fight. You've got Chikadze dressing up like Leon the Professional. Now, I know it's only certain cuts that show him to be a bit noncy, but um, considering the uh, the fallout from Luke Besson's career and the legal troubles he's had, as well as Leon potentially being a bit noncy. I mean, yeah, he was a badass hitman in that film. I love it. But um not something I really want to dress up as. Calvin Cater, the Boston finisher. 
who in the UFC doesn't really tend to finish people, but he is one of the most hurtful, brutal fighters you can fight. First and foremost, I want to say it's it's brilliant that Kata, after the what appeared to be me, appeared to me to be a, a career-ending beating, a prime-ending beating against Max Holloway, has come back very much the same as he ever was. And I think that's that's great because I'm a big fan of Calvin Cater and what he does as evidenced in this fight. What he did uh, strategically was, was excellent. First of all, he took Chikazi off his feet in the first round and, and that, that made him second-guess his whole style. Chikazi's style for me is he, he, he likes to move backwards, throws the odd kick, Create space for himself by throwing the odd kick, which really hurt. Don't get it wrong. The whole I hate the whole giga kick thing, but let's not be let's not beat around the bush. He clearly can crack to the body. He does that to create space for himself. Reset, rinse and repeat. Step backwards. Sloppy hands, nice kicks. If he gets you, he'll, he'll hunt you down. And Kater by taking him off his feet early completely negated that part of his game Chikazi was then uh, wary of throwing kicks in the in the following rounds and Calvin Cater went to town did some amazing amazing little things a Muay Thai style elbow game the the, the sheer variety in his elbows is more uh, offensive variety than Chikazi has in his whole game I think which was a sight to behold spinning elbows stepping elbows up elbows Downward, cracking right elbows to the head. Lovely stuff. Really, as someone who's been to Thailand multiple times, done a little bit of training out there, has been watching Muay Thai for the best part of 10 or 11 years. Um, Really not taking the piss when I say that he had a really nice game. What I really like about Kata, I think it's from the second round, was when he overshoot the jab, he'd use it to grab a single collar tie and just... Controlled Chikazi, got the right hand off from there. Really nice inside pullback, Roberto Duran, right uppercut. Sounds like hyperbole, doesn't it? An MMA fighter's doing all this stuff. Wang Tai style elbow game and Roberto Duran uppercut, but it's true. It's a beating, an absolute beating. Uh, Giga was tough, and that's about all you can say for him. The, uh, the lack of nails he has completely one-dimensional aspect of his game and the fact that he just got swallowed up essentially shows me that he's never really going anywhere and for those that got very offended that Volkanovski didn't wait to see if Chikadze could challenge him for the title in April it's only a shame that he didn't wait to see if Calvin Cater could take that shot I don't think Calvin Cater is ever really going to be a title contender, to be honest with you. It's been shown his sort of uh, level, his ceiling's been shown. But for years now, he's been quality. He's a really underrated fighter. And I think for years to come, he's going to kick the fuck out of anyone that thinks they're going to walk their, walk right into a title shot. UFC should see him as an asset. He's, at this point, too good to be a gatekeeper. Um... But certainly a gatekeeper to title shots. You know, if you can't beat him, then you shouldn't fucking deserve one. 
and it's going to take a lot to beat him. What's insane is, it really is insane, you see the volume he put out, how tough the guy is, how diverse his attack is, and then you remember how Max Holloway just chewed him up, and it is insane. So those, those online that say, do we really need a, a third Volkanovski Holloway fight? Yeah, we do. Yes, Holloway's just about as good as it gets, so is Volkanovski. One thing I want to scale back quickly, I, I didn't mention in, in, in the Roy Vale Bonnerine fight, is that, um, did 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 Bonterine tap in the third round to that armbar? I'm not sure, but also worth mentioning another factor that clearly gave Roy Vale that round. I'm still ants about that fight. We're talking about ceilings for, for Giga and uh, for Matt and for Kata, and for me, flyweight is lacking any really really serious challenges going forward. We've got the uh, Moreno Figueroa rematch coming up. Just have no idea how it's going to go. Was Fig Weight drained last time. Did he just get outmanned? Don't know. No idea. Got a couple of decent contenders around at flyweight. Is there anyone really ready for a title shot? Really? Not too sure. Kai Kara France put Smash Bonnerine in that fight. Loved that. Then he beat Garbrandt. Wasn't long ago that he lost to Roy Val though. Lost to Moreno already. Relatively small. Is there really anyone else that could potentially step into a title fight or flyweight? It's not going to be Roy Val based off of that. Benavidez is gone. They let Sergio Pettis go and now he's one of the better batter weights in the world. Not that smart, in my opinion. I guess the only person really still stomping around is Pantoja. He's still young. He's putting forward a, a pretty decent uh, sort of win rate as of late. You've got Askarov as well around. Askarov and Pantoja, it's about it. You've got your top four. Who knows how long Figueredo will stick around for. Manal Cape, he's not ready. That's a fight, actually. If you want to see a fight which, where we can really start separating these contenders out, Cape versus uh, Roy Val, that'd be decent. I'd like to see that. Cape, the, the, the former rising 135-pound champion, terrible start to his UFC career. He's starting to put it together now. I'd be happy to see that. So we've got two quality divisions, one of which is still thriving, 145. 125, which for me, maybe only two or three fights of any interest until we really need to start passing out the quote-unquote contenders from the pretenders. But that's really all that interested me in this card. I'm not I'm not going to talk about awful women's flyweights. It's not happening. It's just not happening. Sorry. Luckily, we've got a fight of real interest. We've got a decent card next week, but the, the fight I want to preview is a really interesting one. That's, of course, the... Heavyweight title fight between Cyril Garn, interim champion. <coughs> Sorry. Had to stop him, was sick. And Francis Ngannou. It's tough to really figure out how it's going to go because of what we don't know about both men. But I'm going to try and have a look at some avenues to win after this break. 
Welcome back Chronicles Podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Let's hope we don't get a shitty kickboxing match, eh? That's the fear, isn't it? Cyril Garn's going to step back, pop shot, slow it down. I get it. That's what I'd do. I don't want to fight Francis and Garn. I'm not fucking stupid. But generally, Cyril Garn is tepid to tepid as an operator and boring to watch. And that's a fact. Doesn't make me a casual for thinking so. Doesn't make you any more hardcore for liking watching him fight. It's just not that great. People like to say technical, and I say that in quote marks. I said earlier with, with Collier, the, the bar for heavyweight is low. Okay? It's fucking low. Gun, you know, rear kick to the body, a few leg kicks, jab, sporadic jab. It's about all he really has. He might push up against the cage, work a couple of knees. The Lewis fight was really impressive because the bar was low. Against Volkov and, and Rosenstrike, he looked shit, in my opinion. He looked less shit than they did, because he knows what he's doing in there. And as he slows it down to a glacial pace and picks people... I want to say picks them apart, he just picks at them, in my opinion. Don't find him particularly inspiring. We don't really know how he's going to react to certain things. Lewis, Rosenstrike sort of threw the odd overhand, didn't really put a throw in combination, did nothing to punish him for going back in straight lines... When he when he when he got out the back door, they didn't try and cut off the exit. They just did nothing. They sort of plodded round. Lewis at least tried to close the gap at times. Rosenstrike basically stood still for five rounds. Francis Gunner at least tried to close the gap. We saw in the rematch with Stipe, he was he was a lot sharper. And again, I don't want to make it out that by doing less that makes you quote unquote technical. But he landed some cracking low kicks, double up on punches to corral. Stipe back, heard him in certain directions. The first knockdown, right hand followed by the left. 2-3. Bang. Stipe walked straight into it. Really nice work. It works because he's an athlete, essentially. You've got to be relatively smart to do that, though. He has, in the past, got away with strongman go bonk, flailing his arms around and twatting people. But against Stipe in the rematch, he showed a more refined process. He actually tried to cut Stipe off. Not quite, you know, George Foreman on his return, but he did the right things. Now, I'm not so sure that Cyril Gunn's uh, range management is going to be the thing to slow Francis down. What slowed him down in the in the Stipe fight was the first one was was a renewed uh, effort at grappling from Stipe. That's what slowed him down. Do wonder whether pot shot him with kicks and punches is really going to dissuade Francis and Garnu. But let's not act like he's going to be able to... He's, he's that great of a pressure fighter. He's a guy who, if we look at his last fight, he's a guy who's only going to have sporadic output anyway. He picks his, picks his shots, buys his time, and lands meaningful shots as not to tire himself out. It's quite interesting. But I was trying to picture how this fight might go, trying to think of certain avenues to victory. I mean, Garns has got to be gone. He's got to hope that he can hypnotise Ngannou. Basically do the... Ngannou Lewis won and hope that Ngannou does fuck all and they can just pick him apart love tap him 
some low kicks here and there, jab him up, and either Francis eventually capitulates and gets worn down, or he wins a decision. I could see that happening, definitely. Iganu, I think bum-rushing uh, Cyril Gunn might not be the best idea, but there are times where he steps back in a straight line more than I would like to see him go laterally, so there's definitely a chance that that might work. Also, forcing Gunn to fight at a higher pace than he might like might be a good way to see what he's really made of. When Gunn's uh, at Southpaw, he kicks more. Obviously, the right hand's more open than Garnu there. In orthodox stance, Gunn likes to punch more. So I do think it'd be interesting to see the differences in each of their approaches in, in closed and open stance matchups. I really do find it hard to envision how it's going to go, as you can tell, just because... We've got one sample size of Ngannou being anything other than a big, strong psycho. And we've only really got Gunn picking apart abysmal heavyweights, of which Ngannou is not. I guess I'm trying to envision how this fight's going to go. That The closest sort of comparison I can think of would be, and don't laugh, but Jose Aldo and Rob Font. I can see Gunn having a more layered offensive output over longer stretches of the fight. But Ngannou punctuating each round with big moments. There's so much going into this fight that I'm not sure about, though. It's not just in the in the cage. A bigger cage should actually suit Gunn as well. There's that to take into, into account. There's always outside noise. And Garnu versus the UFC. It's not going to go well for him, is it? I'm saying the fix is in, but it's not going to go well for him, is it? Last fight of his contract. Moaning about his pay. Saying he wants to box. Making demands. I'm on his side. Dana White isn't, trust me. Best result for us is that Garnu goes out there and bops... Garner sparks him out. A, because he makes for a more compelling champion, even given his age. Also because he might actually force Uncle Dana to dip into his wallet. But as a fight, I do find it hard to see how it's going to go. Because I haven't really seen Garn tested, and I've only got a very small sample size of Ngannou doing anything other than what he was known for. And I thought he was excellent against Stipe, but I thought Stipe looked a bit aged in the uh, third Cormier fight. Awesome as he was. Yeah, a lot, there's a lot of mileage. Ngannou is a very adept fighter when it comes to just blitzing people. That's his skill. He's fast, got a quick trigger. He's naturally powerful. There's a definite chance that Garn could unravel as the fight progresses. I think people are seeing this too black and white. Either Ngannou's going to come out there, rush him and put him out, or Garn's going to pick him apart for five rounds. I think it's going to be a little bit of both. I think these are both good, talented heavyweights. For all my... Uh, talk about not being too appreciative of what Garn does. There's no doubt that he knows what he's doing. He's a good fighter. I said earlier, we want good heavyweights. Bar's relatively low, but it doesn't mean that he hasn't cleared that bar. Easily, he has. I actually think this is going to be a good fight. I hope so. If Garn gets his own way, it'll be absolutely impressive if he can shut Ngannou down, but I don't really want to watch that for 25 minutes. Actually, let me rephrase that. The first time it'll be great because it's always compelling when you anything could happen at any moment. Someone like Ngannou. Well, much rewatch value is what I mean. And trust me, I rewatched some Cyril Garn fights in preparation for this, and it was painful. It was absolutely painful. Don't think that he makes for a too compelling a champion. And there's not exactly many great contenders around as it is. But at least, at least two big Adonis heavyweights that are compelling in terms of athleticism. In terms of where these guys are and what they can do, it's a really excellent fight. I'm really I'm quite excited for it, to be honest with you. I really am quite excited for this one. And of course... These are big lumps, but good big lumps. I'll be intrigued to see how everyone else sees this going, because for me, I think it's actually a really good fight, but based on what we know and what we don't know. 
Francis will be doing the media rounds this week. He's obviously got his mind on other things. See, he could just give up his belt, can he? You know, just first punch he takes, just go down and go, fuck, I'm going to boxing. But the compelling reason for someone to fight him in boxing is because he's a UFC heavyweight champion, not because he's an MMA heavyweight. He needs to win to have any sort of bargaining power whatsoever. I just wonder if the outside noise might deafen him a little bit to what he needs to be thinking about, which is there's a guy in front of him who's skilled, who's quick, who could do a couple of different things on the feet, and who potentially could tire him out down the stretch. So yeah, that's basically how I see that one going. It's an interesting one. I'm actually genuinely excited for a heavyweight title fight. I wasn't for the Stipe Francis rematch. I was pretty certain that Stipe was being taken to the gallows. Proved correct. So yeah, we're going to have another little break. Then I'm actually going to drop in a Closet Classic today. Now, a bit of a weird one, this Closet Classic. We'll get that in a minute after this. Now, Closet Classics. I probably should have specified this last week. and Maybe I'm just changing the rules on the fly, but I just don't want to bring you great fights that you might not have heard of. I want to show you things you might not have seen. For me, this closet classic this week is completely out of the box. But everyone I've showed it to, every combat sports fan I've showed it to, fucking loves it. And how gnarly it is. I'm glad that everyone enjoyed last week's John Polakowski versus Olaf Alfonso won. And obviously I did implore you to watch the second and third fights too. Seemed to get a decent reaction. From old fans of Olaf and, and, and from new that had not maybe heard of him before. I'm glad everyone enjoyed it. The one I recommend to you this week is about 10 seconds long. It's a fight that I first saw in the in the infancy of YouTube. And quite frankly, it it's not a mixed martial arts bout. It's not a boxing match. It's not kickboxing either. I guess it only leaves Muay Thai. Well, there are certainly some knees involved, but it's not Muay Thai either. This one... It's actually felony fights. Indeed, it's a street fight. Not much of one either, to be honest with you. But there's something about it that's so visceral and brutal. I'm sure you savages listening to this would like to see it. So let me introduce you to our protagonists. One of which sounds like a complete fucking badass. The other of which is a bit more unassuming. Let's show the badass first, just to give you an idea of how fucking scary Thomas. this dude is. See, so done time. Done a little bit, yeah. Where at? Um, I did six years in YA and then uh, 19 months in the joint. What'd you do? I stabbed some dude in the neck four times because he was a rat. Got to let him know what time it is. What's one of your most memorable fights? Probably that time that I stabbed that dude. I expected him to drop, but he got up and wanted to fight. So it was pretty sick. Blood was shooting out of his neck. It was awesome. My name is Tommy. I'm fighting for felony fights, and I'm here to wreck some shit. So far, so very new metal. So, who's he fighting, Tommy? Obviously, he's a badass, just come out of prison for stabbing someone in the neck. Looks like a white supremacist. Skinhead covered in tattoos. Who's he fighting? They obviously got some fucking badass in the fighting, right? I'm Miguel Alvarez. I just came here today to entertain you guys, you know? Check yourself some fucking fights, some badass fights. What follows is one of the most brutal one-sided beatings I've ever seen in real life or in combat sports. That's why I'm getting you to watch this fight. It's brutal. Features a one-punch knockout, some devastating ground and pound, and then 
some of the worst knees you'll ever see in your entire life to an already unconscious person's skull. Probably thinking, why the fuck are you showing me this, Kyle? Well, it's fucking horrible, isn't it? You might not be interested in it, that's fair enough as well, but for some people like combat sports, they just like seeing people get fucked up. And this is absolutely savage. Guy comes in, giving it the large one. Yeah, I'll fucking stab some guy. There's blood squirting out. Gets the shit kicked out of him by a guy that's like a little fat Antonio Margarito. That should have been all that me and my mates needed to know at the time. But we were shocked. You've seen fights on the estate. You've seen real scraps. You've seen plenty of combat sports. This is the days when we're watching, you know, K1 and, and watching UFC events. Even watching the earlier ones, the human cockfighting days, nothing was quite as brutal as this. Jumping on someone's jaw and skull with your knee and your full body weight will never become less shocking. But it's the swiftness of which it was over so quickly. A reminder to us all that when you're not talking about real combat sports athletes, these things are over very, very quickly. I just think it'd be really interesting for you guys to see it. And because I've shown other combat sports fans and they thank me for it. And more a fight that I think, just for the sheer brutality and quickness of it all, would be right up your street. If it isn't, let me know on Twitter at CombatCHR. The combat's got a zero. And of course, please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combatchronicles, where this week I'll be releasing a very special look, revisiting my top 10 greatest fights in boxing history. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.